Blog Talk Radio. Talk Radio, Safe Recovery. I'm Monica, and I'm your host. Tonight is April 25th, 2011, and we are going to talk about the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous tonight. Is it still viable, the AA big book? We're going to discuss it, dissect it, and debate it. First of all, I want everyone to say hi Hi, everyone out there in uh, radio, blog, radio land. I'm Massive Attack, or Monica. Uh, Massive Attack is my handle on some of the blogs. I have a blog called Stop 13 Step in AA. And the number to call in is 818-475-9211. That's 475-9211, 818-475-9211. We have a chat room. So if you're too shy to call in, maybe you want to chat in the chat room. So here we go. I am sitting here. Some of you know me from the blogs and some of you don't. So I'm sitting here with my big book that is a very worn, weathered big book from 1975. It is made out of, um, there's fabric it's not um they stopped making this one the next version actually came out in 1976 so i got this old cool version and i am somebody who once loved this book who once loved loved it so so well um we'll talk about you know how i'm feeling about it just soon enough here so even though I mean, I loved AA, even though I was 13-stepped, but I was introduced to Alcoholics Anonymous by a really great guy who now has a book out. His name is Tom Catton. His book is The Mindful Addict. And so he was on a couple weeks ago, and he talked. And uh, anyway, he was just a really, really great guy. Um, When I open my book and I look inside... It's, I actually wrote something here. It says, Peace to all your loving hearts. God loves you. Whoever is reading this, may you find what I find in the beautiful life of Alcoholics Anonymous. And then I had a picture. Uh, it says April 18, 1975, Kailua, Hawaii. So we're going to step right in here. And to tell you the truth, I want you to know that I read the book from cover to cover in my first 90 days. And I was not counting days back then. I mean, I, to me, it was it, people, they didn't give out chips, which I'm really so glad they didn't because, to me, the chips are so hokey and so culty. And I really had, I, I was done. You know, I really was done, and you could have handed me any other kind of path of living, and I probably would have jumped on it because I was in so much psychological, emotional, and spiritual pain that I was looking for 
you know, an answer, some kind of a, uh, you know, answer to my problems. I had already stopped drinking for a couple of weeks when I ran into Tom on the beach in Kailua. So um, let's see. Let's start with the book where it says uh, the opening. And the opening that ta- – this is the forward, the forward to uh, the preface. Okay, the forward. So it says um, the forward to the first edition. It's to show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book. So they're gonna, they were talking about that we recovered. Uh, and you know, I remember people kind of fighting about, well, why are we calling ourselves alcoholics and that we still have this disease? And, and that's when sort of that kind of talk started about, you know, people being, um, whether they were recovered or not, or were you recovering? And uh, hey there to my guests in the chat room. I'm glad that you are here. So, all right, so this is the first thing that I see that already it says one thing in the beginning. Uh, next, quickly into the forward, um, where it says, uh, you know, that we had to, this whole part here, it actually is talking about the traditions. And it talks about that they had to evolve principles by which the AA groups and AA as a whole could survive and function effectively. So the book that I'm reading, that, which I own, was written in 1955, not in 1976. So, it, you know, it was even older. Um, it talks about that no man or woman should be excluded, and we know that they excluded people in the beginning and had really, uh, they didn't want addicts or women or low bottom or criminals. That's a fact. Um, That our leaders might serve but not govern. That each group ought to be autonomous, and there was to be no professional class of therapy. Isn't that interesting? So now if we went to you know, the Betty Ford Center or lots of other treatment centers, uh, probably what these people say when they go on their interview is, well, I have 15 years of sobriety or I have 20 years of sobriety um, when they're getting hired to work for the National Council on Alcohol and Drugs. Um, There are to be no fees or dues. Our expenses were to be met by our own voluntary contributions, which is no longer true because about – the 12 million that flow into the coffers in New York and Alcoholics Anonymous World Service, half, 6 million, do not come from contributions. They come from book sales to prisons, rehabs, you know, treatment centers, that kind of thing. There was to be the least possible organization, even in our service centers. Our public relations were to be based on attraction rather than promotion. Uh, it was decided that all members ought to be anonymous. I guess this excluded Bill Wilson, right? The guy who has two movies, you know, who was always looking to be in the spotlight. Um, It says, and in no circumstances should we give endorsements. Wow. Well, you know, if we Google treatment center, AA-related, we're going to pick up a lot. Make alliances. We made alliances with our court system, with our government there's a long, long list of people that we have that AA has made alliances with. So I'm going to move on. All right. So I want to shout out hi, and um, looks like we have some people listening. Hey, out there in Radio Blogland, 
I am Monica. I'm your host of Safe Recovery on Blog Talk Radio. Normally we meet every Tuesday night at 6, but tonight we're having a special show on Monday night. 818-475-9211 is the call-in number. Is the big book still useful? Or is it too religious? Or, you know, is it uh, not even true? Uh, You know, I believed that you had to be spiritually fit myself, that if you weren't, that maybe you couldn't get this. I mean, I was so naive. I carried this book with me. I went back to New York, and I carried it with me, in, you know, into the bars, into Inwood Park, and, you know, on the train. And I was like one of those, you know, people, those Mormons who, like, knock on your door on Sunday at 11 and say, Hey, um, you know, I, I actually told my friends, guys, look, you know, I found the answer. I found the answer to all our problems. We're all a bunch of drunks. We're alcoholics. Look at this great book. And they were like, you're insane, Monica. You are so crazy. Like, get away from us. <laughs> so in the forward, it says, of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remained that way. Wow. Those are really high percentages. If that were true, there would be like 15 million people sober. I don't know if we have anybody out there doing those numbers, but this is not true. 25% sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. Now, one of the other lines that I do like from the book, at the very end of this story, it says, we will presently join us on the high road to new freedom. Because there was a time in my sobriety where people like to say the road gets narrow. You know, it gets really narrow. We all have to do. So um, <laughs> so in the chat room we have somebody telling, hi everyone, two religious cult members, owner's manual and really tried. How do you measure really tried? Well, you know what? That's a really, really good question. And so we're going to get to, I'm going to go to chapter three, which is one that I really liked, but I I agree with you, and we're going to get to, because it talks maybe more in Chapter 5. So, you know, it says no one really likes to admit we were real alcoholics. Um, No person likes to think he is bodily and mentally different from his fellows. Now, have they still even proven whether or not that, you know, bodily that we are different? In, in our 19, uh, we got to find this out. This is something that I want to speak to some scientists somewhere. Um, it says here, we learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics. This is the first step in recovery. I guess that's where, you know, step one came. And you know what? As I've been getting ready for the show, i got to tell you that I'm reading this in a way that I have never read it. The delusion that we are like other people or presently maybe has to be smashed, smashed. Not like that we, you know, that we need to accept that we probably can't maybe drink or like maybe we need to do abstinence or maybe some of you should really try, especially if you come in as young as me, you should really try moderately drinking. Oh, no, I don't want to drink anymore. I'm done. I'm done. I would have said, I'm finished. And then they would say, oh, okay, well, do you think you're alcoholic? I said, yeah, I, I think I do. I think I'm an alcoholic. And what do I have to do? You know, but 
this wording, okay, and this is the next line. This is the next line that was such like a horror for me. We are like men who have lost their legs. They never grow new ones. Neither does there appear to be any kind of treatment which will make alcoholists of our kind like other men. So we're like freaks. Okay, so we have lost our legs. Now we're like, we have no legs, and there's no treatment. But ah, aha. Oh, wow, wait, though. Bill has a treatment now. Bill and Bob, they have a new book. <laughs> we have tried every imaginable remedy. But the thing is, is that somebody who is studying this now, who is reading this now, is reading this bullshit. So this might have been true. In 1936, but it really wasn't. I mean, there were, you know, there was the cure, and there was people, you know, actually probably stopped through religion. And um, so in some instances, there has been brief recovery, followed always by a still worse relapse, followed always, really. Oh, was he keeping track? Was he keeping, you know, was he doing a study at John Hopkins, or was he doing a study at Harvard Medical School? Mm. I don't think so. Um, <laughs> somebody's being funny on the um, in the chat room. I, I like that that you can get something a, a really tried ometer for nineteen ninety five. Uh, so then it goes on to you know trying you know whether to drink limited number of drinks and this is something that I really related to reading inspirational books, going to health farms and sanitariums. And here's the part that I think most of the people who are so arrogant in meetings forget. It says, we do not like to pronounce any individual alcoholic. So then why if you go to a meeting in Los Angeles, and this I brought somebody new with me recently, and they want to sit in the meeting and they're not ready to call themselves an alcoholic, that these old-timers turn and go, what's your name? Who are you? What are you? Oh, oh, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to say that I'm an alcoholic. I'm not really sure. Why this pushing to say, you know, I'm Sally and I'm an alcoholic. Well, she just got a DUI and she's here and she's new and she's not sure. Why do you want to shove it down her throat? It even says in the book right here, we do not like to pronounce any individual as alcoholic. But you can quickly diagnose yourself. And then it talks about moderation management for like half a second, okay? Like not long enough for me. I think, yes, yeah, state your disease. That's right. That's the saying, you know, state your disease. And I really felt it this time as I brought this young woman, uh, you know, woman to a meeting with me. The call-in number is 818-475-9211. This is an hour show. We have 45 minutes left, but I am not done ranting, let me tell you. I am not done. <laughs> so we are going to go to page 39. Now, if you have a later book and you're here pissed off at me, uh, remember that I have this old book from 1955, and the new books came out in 76, and I got sober in 75. So um, the part that I wanted to talk about was in uh, paragraph one, um, where it says here, we will absolutely, oh yeah, but the, act, let, me, let me just read it here. It says, um, where should I start from? But the actual or potential alcoholic, with hardly an exception, 
will be absolutely unable to stop drinking on the basis of self-knowledge. This is a point we wish to emphasize and re-emphasize to smash. Here it is again. <laughs> Somebody should have gone over this book with him and had a thesaurus and said, you know, Bill, there are other words besides smash. I mean, if I weren't being my engineer and everything I am here in my little radio show, I would be looking up the word smash and tell him, you know, like, again, he's a different word, Bill. Um, to smash home upon an, our alcoholic readers, as it has been revealed to us, a bitter experience. Okay? So this is really extreme, really extreme talking, but the actual or potential, uh, the, the potential alcoholic, with hardly an exception, will be absolutely unable to stop drinking on the basis of self-knowledge. So thank God for things like smart recovery, so these are based on non-religious tenets, rational recovery, life ring, secular for sobriety, SOS. Stanton Peel has books. Stephen Slade has a program. Amy Lee Coy wrote a book, How She Stopped by Herself, and Women for Sobriety. So maybe they, we could just slip in like a little pamphlet in this part of the book the next time that uh, so when a newcomer gets the book, they don't go, oh, wow, like, uh, what, what am I going to do here, you know? So now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip ahead. Um, oh, here's another one. I want to say this because I know that there are many non-religious people that have left and people on thinking, thinking that, you know, the whole religious gobbledygook didn't work for them. And it says, once more, this is at the end of More About Alcoholism on page 43, the alcoholic at certain times has no effective mental defense against the first drink, except in a few rare cases neither he nor any other human being can provide such a defense. His defense must come from a higher power. You know, I remember reading that and going, wow, I better get spiritual, like quick. You know what I'm saying? Like, I better work these steps these like really fast. Like I'm telling you, I, I went to my first meeting. I think it was a step study. I got the book and I went home and I started like tearing through this book. And I thought, okay, what do I got to do? I got to do. Now the first three steps didn't make any sense to me, but you know the fourth, the fourth step made sense. So now we're at agnostics, and uh, let's see. <laughs> if when you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit entirely. Or if when drinking, you have little control over the amount you take, you are probably alcoholic. If that be the case, you may be suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer. Now, this is the chapter to people who don't believe. Like, what were they thinking? Oh, they thought, well, they wanted to reach, you know, the non-spiritual drunks. Well, I guess there were plenty of them. But this is not true. Once again, even though I've always been a believer, I believe, I was a true believer once, but, you know, uh, for all the people that have now gone to SMART and to Rational and all these other programs that are non-secular, uh, they got sober. They got sober with cognitive behavioral therapy, using naltroxone, to help with the cravings. They didn't have to sit. You know, I was in Hawaii like three months ago for a conference. 
And I walked past, it was at night and it was raining, and I was meeting one of my old friends. And I, you could, all the windows were open in the meetings in Hawaii. You could hear them outside. And this guy was saying, you know, if I don't turn my will and my life over to the care of God, as I understand him, then you cannot get this. You know, he's Hawaiian, and, you know, and he's talking in this really great pigeon accent, which I'm doing really poorly right now. And I thought, I wanted to stick my head in the window and say, that's not true, okay? That's not true at all. <laughs> but I didn't. I just kept walking. And I told my friend Larry, and I said, you know, um, that's not true. There's people now all over the globe that are, you know, that are getting sober without this type of belief system, you know. So uh, let's see. Uh, Chapter 5 is an insult to agnostics. I'm going to see what – oh, the Sinclair method. Okay, thank you. Um, The Sinclair method is another way. I need to add that to my list that I have here on my my little card. Um, You know, I'm going to go on to to Chapter 5, which – I did kind of tear up in my very first show, and we talked really a long time about the first paragraph, so I'm not going to spend as much time here. But I do want to share what one of my friends that I met on the blogs, and this is what he said. He said, the way it reads is, rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. And so what my new friend on the blog says it should say is rarely have we seen a person thoroughly follow our path. No, wait. Yeah, that's it, right? Rarely have we seen a person thoroughly follow our path, meaning that, you know, that's right. There's no one size fits all to the problem of alcoholism, which someone just wrote um, in the chat room, which is so, so true. Uh, Thank you. Thank you for that one. For those that didn't hear my first show, what this first paragraph, I actually think it's detrimental to sit in the meetings and hear this kind of punitive, making you feel like you are, um, you know, just, well, let's, let me read the next line. Those who do not recover are people who cannot or will not completely give themselves to this simple program. Well, that's not true. There's people who can't recover here in AA, but they recover in SMART and through the Sinclair Method and through Amy Lee Coy, who found a way through being kind to herself, and you can read her book, you know, From Death Do I Part, um, and the other lists, Women for Sobriety. All of these things are growing. How come, these, how come none of these things get any PR on shows like Criminal Minds? All right? How come... That's true. That's so true that many people do not actually follow the path. And I want to talk about, I'm going to get to that when we get into the deeper into Chapter 5. And these are usually men and women who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. And so we're like sociopaths, you know, liars who can't be truthful. And, you know, to be really honest, as sick as a lot of people in AA are, that most people are not liars there. That some people, that's their trigger, that's their thing, you know, when they drink and they have a really, super people pleasers and they, they lie more than others. But my experience over, like, you know, three decades is that mm, that's not really true. And that's a really kind of 
a nasty thing to say and for people to sit in meetings. And they, I watch people as they sit, as they listen to this crap and go like either shaking their heads. It's not true, you know. Um, they are they are such unfortunates. Oh, they're not at fault. Oh, oh, poor, poor baby. Oh, they seem to have been born that way. They're born that way. It's like insane. So people used to fight about, you know, the chicken or the egg. Like, were you born that way? Is it genetic? Like in the 70s, you know, people said that. Well, you know what? I, The people that studied transcendental meditation that spent millions and millions of dollars in the, in the 70s came to a place where they believe that we are pure, that even if you were alcoholic or addict, that that 85% of your brain that is not being used is pure and untouched. Now, I don't know if you use crack cocaine, if that's the truth or not. I, I don't know that. But I do know that at the core, um, that if you're an alcoholic, I, I don't believe that that's true. Uh, they are naturally incapable of grasping and developing a manner of living which demands rigorous honesty. There he goes, hammering honesty. Maybe Bill had this problem. Um, their chances are less than average. It's so, like, you know, really negative. It's really negative. It's just not uplifting and hopeful and empowering. There are those, two who suffer from grave emotional and mental disorders, but many of them do recover if they have the capacity to be honest, and maybe they can recover if they're allowed to take their antidepressants, which they need so they don't kill themselves. Do you know that AA in their conference that they're going to have, they have once a year in New York, they are still going to discuss AA and medication? Like it is nobody's business. It is no, even about pain medication. You know, they're talking about marijuana, and they're talking about, um, they're talking about psych meds and pills and, you know, it is just crazy. So, once again, if anyone wants to call in, 818-475-9211 with your comments, with your debate, discussing, uh, dissecting uh, the big book. So, I'm, I'm going to move on because I think that we already kind of tore up the steps and I don't want to talk about that. It's just enough, you know. I want to go straight to this part here where it says where it says we're at step three, which is that we decided we're going to turn our will and our life over to the care of God as we understood him. And then, um, so here, the first requirement is that we be convinced that any life run on self-will will hardly can hardly be a success. So did Bill not know that we were given free will? Like, what kind of religion was he? Was was he? Oh, oh, that's right. He liked to make up religion. He liked. He was like a a spiritualist. He was one of those guys who was like trying, you know, taking acid when he was eighteen years sober for like two years to try to figure himself out. But um, we were given free will, and you know, this whole way of I sometimes will see people who are really bright and really smart and educated come into the rooms and go like, what? Like everything? like in, And because nobody really kind of stands up and speaks whatever their truth is, that they kind of, well, I don't want to like, you know, really say, well, I got sober. People fought about this. They said, no, I mean, you know, we have free will and, you know, you go out and plant the seed. God is not going to plant the seed. And make you know we have to plant the seed and 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 you know go out there in the dirt and 
and the water will come from the sky and the rain or we'll use irrigation, right? Science can change all that. Um, so, uh, you know, boy, it just, let's see, free, free will, free will. And I am going to go on to page, this next part here, where it says, it talks about selfishness and self-centeredness. That, we think, is the root of our troubles. Well, then, why is it that when I go to a meeting, that it actually looks like a really, really self selfish and self-absorbed group of people. Like I don't get the sense, like if I went to a temple, whether it's I went to a Catholic church or maybe I went to Unity or maybe I go to a Buddhist temple, um, there's a sense of either people are really you know, on a path, they're really seeking, some churches might be more friendly than others. But why is it that still with a lot of time that in AA meetings that that there is this, not only this, but angry, like really, really angry. Um, 62, um, are AA people good? You know, are they loving? Are they kind? Are they friendly? Do they make you feel really welcome? And I would have to say that my experience in the last, I don't know, 10 years, 5 years, more more like 5 years, that the only meeting I would say that about is the meeting that I still go to, a small women's meeting. So we are now going to move along to the third step prayer. So if you are not religious, it's on page 63, what do you do with, you know, uh, that you're going to turn your will, you know, God, I offer myself to thee to build with me. I mean, it's just so Christian. And it's, this is not bad if you're, this is the, if you're religious, but if you're not, it is, you know, and then people say, well, if you don't do this, you know, you can't move on to the next step. And the other thing, too, is right before it, where it makes fun of making, making plans, you know, and designing stuff, that, you know, he was a really bad, Bill was a really, really bad business owner. We all know that. He never worked again. This was his thing, trying to make money while Lois, you know, worked in Macy's or, you know, somewhere like that. I don't know what she was, but um, I'm sorry, but it's really, really <laughs> crazy. So here we are. Uh, I am, what page? Page 66. I want to go onto page 66, which talks about the resentment. All right, so it says, It is plain that a life which includes deep resentment leads only to futility and unhappiness. So I would say, well, yeah, you know, it's true that if you're really, really resentful, right? I mean, we have to find some way to get out of that feeling. Um, to this precise extent, we permit these, do we squander the hours that might have been, let's see. Um, okay, oh yeah, this is the part that I love. I mean, I don't love it, but wait till you hear this. But with the alcoholic, this hope is the maintenance and growth of spiritual experience. Now, first of all, how, if you, how many people are like even on a spiritual path? 
Like if I go down to, you know, a place where there's just hordes of predators and, you know, 25% of the people are DUI sent and now we're finding out that these people are actually criminals are being sentenced. Uh, that, all right, so uh, I'm getting so off on a tangent there. Um, okay, so the alcoholic whose hope is the maintenance and growth of a spiritual experience, this business of resentment is infinitely grave, okay? It's like, it's not just, okay, you could say, well, you know what, the resentment thing, you know, it's really not going to be a good thing. I think that, um, you know, we uh, we have a caller. We have a caller here on the line. I'm going to take the call. I want to talk about the anger, and I'm going to take, oh, hang on there. I just saw that you were there. So then it says it's infinitely grave and that it's fatal, okay? It says, we found that it is fatal. But when harboring such feelings, we shut ourselves off from the sunlight of the spirit. The insanity of alcohol returns, and we drink again. It's not true. It is not true, because if this was true, everybody, a 90%, 70% of people that are in meetings would all be drunk. And you know why? Because it is the most angry, angry group of people that I have ever seen in one place. And this is today, in 2011, in the city of Los Angeles. I'm going to take the caller. Hi, caller. This is Monica. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio Safe Recovery. Hi, Monica. Hi. This is Todd. How are you doing? My name's Todd. You know who I am. I do, Todd. Welcome to the show. What do you want to say? I'm a little bit behind you, uh, and... And you really stirred up some feelings when you mentioned the the selfishness and self-centered. Um, I, I thought about what it was like, you know, crawling into a meeting with, mm-hmm. with my head all mixed up. And, you know, I think all people are looking for an answer. That's why religion exists, you know. And, and um, people find their answer. The, the question basically is, why do we exist? You know, why the hell am I here? And it can be painful to not have an answer to that question. You know, mm-hmm. at least for me. Right. I'm not going to speak for everybody, but, you know, people right. want to know, what, what is the purpose of my life? And uh, and here they are telling us that this pain is this pain is caused by selfishness and self-centeredness. And I really fell into that trap because I was looking for an answer. Why do I feel like this? Mm-hmm. Why do I feel like such shit? And why do I want to run away from life and run into a bottle all the time? Why is life so confusing? Mm. And and they said, you know, and I listened to them. I believed them. They told me that it was basically because I was one of the few people who was born that way with no legs and was, <laughs> you know, completely. <laughs> Sorry, but yeah. Mm-hmm. completely powerless over my own selfishness. Mm-hmm. So I, I use the term adopting isms because AA has a lot of isms. If, yeah. if Anybody out there who's listening who's a newcomer to AA, I warn you, <laughs> watch mm-hmm. out for the isms because you can wind up parroting what other people say and, and, um, and adopting other people's isms without even realizing that it's happening to you. And, and what happened to me was I, I wound up believing things about myself. Instead of focusing my energy in a positive direction and saying, look, Todd, 
there are some good things about you. You've just made some terrible mistakes here, and you're going to have to stop drinking and, and start doing some other stuff with your life. I, I just immerse myself in this this horrible feeling of selfishness, and um, it was a huge guilt trip. I've said that before. Mm-hmm. It was painful to go through that. I don't know how other people come out smiling on the other side of that experience and say, that was the best thing that ever happened to me. No, and you know, you really brought up a different point of view with talking about the selfish and self-centeredness that I didn't talk about because a lot of the young people or the generation that you know you and I are part of, and now I see this younger generation come in, there's a certain number of people who have been abused in every you know one way or the other possibly right and mm-hmm. you know, whether it's physical abuse or verbal or sexually and then so people instead of saying well you know what happened to you as a child or what was your background like or you know this or that and oh well maybe you could you know you could go to therapy or you know or maybe you could you know do this that there is not sane answers to these problems that are not about because then later he says we have to get down to you know that this was just a symptom right and like that's the line that you know some of it is makes sense but um one of the things that if you want to stay on and we could talk a little bit is this next paragraph that says if we were to live we had to be free of anger and as i was like kind of doing my homework last night for the show tonight I started laughing hysterically, and I, I had never seen it like that. I thought, free of anger? Like, who's free of anger? Nobody. Like, even Jesus was, like, in the temple, you know, like, throwing <laughs> shit around, going, get out of here, you guys. You're, like, totally, like, you know, messing things up here. And then he goes right. on to say that the grouch and the brainstorm were not for us. It's like, so then you have this whole culture it, growing up in the program, stuffing and years of like stuffing their anger and right. nobody teaching them healthy ways like, you know, for men, you know, you get a bat and hit the bed or, you know, working out and there's, you know, rage. We did a whole show on it um, where my friend with 20 years was like punching himself in the face um, at 21 years sober. Uh, and, and so there's nothing here. It just leaves you, after he says, we have to be free of anger, the grouch and brainstorming not for us, and maybe the dubious luxury of normal men. But for alcoholics, things are poison. You know, right. it's like, wow, the boogeyman, you know, is coming. Like, you can, ne- and I bought it, Todd. I, when I was new, I was I like, I'm going to be very spiritual. I got up every morning, and I was meditating and praying, and then if somebody upset me, I'm like, I, I went to the book, and I would say that serenity prayer, like, 50 times, and, you know, mm-hmm. my my mind was racing, and what should I do now, and I'll pray for them, and meanwhile, I was being 13 steps, and, you know, maybe somebody's ripping you off for a cool 20,000, or, you know, maybe you've been raped by somebody, or... Or maybe and, you're in the process of somebody getting into your brain the way that they do. Looking back, that's the thing that pisses me off the most. Out of mm-hmm. just about everything that's happened in my life, was that these people infiltrated my sense of self, you know? And the anger thing, there's there's a little bit of truth in every good lie, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. anger's not healthy for us, 
you know, excessive anger. Let me let me rephrase that. Excessive anger isn't healthy for anybody. And when you're frustrated and drunk all the time, you know, I was I was a pretty angry person. But the answer they gave me was to shove it into the God box. They didn't give me a real answer. <laughs> shove it in the God box and blame it on myself because I'm selfish. That's why I'm angry. You know, I was walking around thinking the reason my life is so painful is because I'm selfish. I think about myself all the time. Well, Jesus, I'm the one looking through these eyes. You know, I'm the God. Of course I think about myself. I'm in the in this body. I can't get out of the goddamn thing, you know? Right. They spend so much time trying to get you to reject yourself and who you really are and become one of them. You know, there was a really long post on Thinkin' Thinkin'. Um, for those who are listening who don't know about thinkinthinkin.com, um, mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that uh, go there who, you know, are um, leaving the program or some have already left. And um, Oh, I have another caller in the key there, so I want to, I'll finish this up with you. But the um, it was lots of paragraphs, and he just went on. It was about taking his fifth step and... How they were um, wanted him to do more. It was sort of, I guess, what I'm trying to say is power tripping, you know, with um, with sponsorship and them getting into his brain. And he was like, "Whoa, wait a minute! You you don't have any, you know." The guy wanted to know more and more about sex life and this other stuff, and he was like, "Hold on here!" Like I didn't know that you were a professional therapist, you know. Right. They they really so, get into every facet of your life, and they they try to control you. And right, you, right. You can never be good enough for them. The only way that they'll stop pestering you with this shit is if you start spouting slogans like a parrot and, right. and recruiting new members. Otherwise, you'll never be good enough. No, it's true. Hey, Todd, I'm going to take another caller. Thanks so much for All right, calling thanks, in. Monica. All right, talk to you later. Bye. Hi, caller. Hello, how are you, Monica? How are you doing there? Welcome to Blog Talk Radio, Safe Recovery. Hey, how's it going? Just it's to good. Show. This is Kevin. Uh, I heard Todd was on the show, too. I love listening to that guy. Um, I just wanted you to ask a question. Todd? He loves yeah, so- yeah well, he loved listening to you. We both do. We really he's enjoyed great... your radio show when you had it. It was really, really great. Yes, yeah, um, and then... Uh, what, Mon, I wanted to say, uh, if I may, yeah, you know, to this day, you know, I have 16 years sober. So to this day, I still don't know what the hell they mean when they read. I mean, you mentioned it earlier when they said, you know, we lost, we're like men who lost their legs. They never grow new ones. What the hell is that supposed to mean? <laughs> what is that supposed to mean? I mean, I sit there every time they read it, and I nod my head. I see the guys nodding my head, and I go, well, I'm nodding my head because they're nodding their head because it must be something spiritually good, and, you know. So, okay, okay, <laughs> I'll go with it. But I, to this day, I don't really don't know what the hell it means. So, I mean, do you know what it means? Well, this, this is what I, how I perceived it. Like, when I, I, I didn't understand it, I didn't think it was true, and I thought it was when I was 18 months over, I was, you know, 19 and a half, and I was feeling like, I didn't really believe the first part of the first step that I was powerless because I didn't experience it like that. You know what I mean? The second step I got and the second part of my life was definitely had become unmanageable. 
But when it got to this part where, you know, that we were, were you really an alcoholic? You know, was your story, like, really bad? And, you know, I started thinking, oh, maybe I'm not, I don't belong here. Like, that's what started to happen to me when I was that age. And, and it was sort of this, my life was actually getting worse and worse, looking back. It was, you know, I, I was on welfare, and I was going to meetings, and I, I think I was on the verge of, I really did have sort of a breakdown. I didn't go anywhere. I was sort of just kind of hung out and went to meetings and hung out on the AA beach with freaking a bunch of nutbag, you know, middle-aged sexual whatever predators. But and there were some good people I hung out with, too. But um, that you're different like it's really a weird thing and i actually like sort of twisted my own brain around i think and saying oh so like i'm really broken and i'll never be fixed that's what that means that you are you are so fucked up that you are broken in a way that you will never really really be well and feel loved, like you know a part of life like that's what it meant yeah, to me yeah yeah yeah, yeah, that's yeah, a little bit, a little bit extreme, a little too extreme for me. Right, it's very, right. It's very, very yeah. extreme, and I think it's it's not true, and that's why I loved when I took the TM, which you know we both did, you know, that the when I heard him talk, and he had taught so many twelve step people, I thought, God, is this so refreshing? Mm. And you know, they had spent millions on research at UCLA, like, A, has never spent a dime on any research about any of this goobly gawk in this, my book is like falling apart here, you know, it's just all broken up, and (laughs) I guess like I was all broken up and without my legs, I was like, you know, dragging myself along, come on, here we go, you know, I was young, I was like, ah! Yeah, really. (laughs) So... Your book, your book will never grow new pages. <laughs> well, I like that. Never grow new pages. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, thanks for helping clear clarify that. You know, I mean, it's, you know, it's like uh, the old saying goes, you know, take what you will and leave the rest. And it has helped me tremendously. But I mean, as you know, the longer I stick around, the, the you know, the more I agree with you that. You know, there's so much stuff that I'm like, it just doesn't make sense, and it's true. There's like this hypnosis of, uh, you know, saying that you're, you know, you're not perfect. And then I don't know anybody who is, but it's like you don't need to cram down your throat on a constant basis. Right, right. I mean, for me, this whole paragraph needs to be like just sucked right out. They could just like, you know, get a vacuum like gone, and then in its place could be. You know, and what they do is they, they really drop the rock. Like, after they tell you that, you know, we had to be free of anger, you can't you can't be grouchy. How come so many people are grouchy? Don't you think so? I mean, I know so many grouchy oh. AA women. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, absolutely. Um, a service meeting and see how grouchy they are. And, uh, and they just drop it instead of saying, you know, well, like, there are some other tools that you could use to – you know, learn how to speak and say things like, you know, hon, you know, you're hurting my feelings and, you know, can you not say that like that? And, you know, all those things that you and I know. Uh, and I, maybe I'm going to do a show that's going to be all about the other tools, the other books that are the things that changed me. They were, they were mm-hmm. not. When it came to this, you know, we all knew that this was crazy. And so we went in the ocean screaming and up in the mountains yelling. and But... Um, you know, I, I just yeah. think that it, yeah. I hear you. I hear you. You want to stay on, or are you? Are you want to? 
Want to stay with us? Actually, no. I actually have to take off here. I got to run to this appointment, but I just wanted to thank you again for having your show on the air, and I love listening to you. So, and, uh, oh, thanks, and thanks Kevin. Time, too, for, I love you. Yeah, thanks you're so welcome. much for coming in. Oh, you're okay. very welcome. Love you, too. And uh, it's awesome to hear Todd. Todd's always great hearing him as well. So. All right, Todd, you hear that? Kevin loves hearing yeah. from me, too. Maybe he'll get your radio show back up. Okay, bye, Kevin. Yeah. Take care, bye. dear. Bye. bye. Okay, so next we're going to talk about sex. On page 69, what the, you know, it was that had to have been planned. How come they, they, they talk about sex? So when I was 13 steps, guess where they told me to read? And, and you know, it was like, my, I think my 13-stepping creep that is the one who um, said, you know, well, you should read. No, I think it was this other guy who was kind of a lech, too. He said, um the part that here, the voices who cry for sex and more sex, who bewail the institution of marriage, uh, that most of the troubles of the race are traceable to sex causes. Uh, you know, they, they, it just goes on. It's not even really worth reading. Um, let's see, where had we been selfish, dishonest, inconsiderate? Whom had we hurt? You know, I mean, that, there's, that part was actually very useful for me to work and change my behavior. Uh, that was helpful. Um let me see. Uh, you know, the other part that I, uh, oh, yeah, this this is sex part. You know, the fact that, I, you know, I just didn't know until I read the Orange Papers, and I hope that if you don't know about the Orange Papers, the Orange Papers um, clearly will just explain how bad of a philanderer Bill Wilson was that they had to create sort of a squad that surrounded him between he and the newcomers. We all know that he had a long-term affair that the money um, that you send, that you put in your basket that gets sent to New York, eventually goes to uh, that woman or to her heirs um, who he was fooling around with, and he took advantage of a lot, of, a lot of new women. Um, we could talk about uh, the fifth step, which is into action, and basically what I want to say there is that uh, there's a lot of people whose trust gets broken. Um, when they read somebody in the program, the fifth step, and someone else, um, they they hear that they've told their wives or somebody that it was not, you know, kept in confidence. And I do think that for me that when I eventually met um, somebody, I think it's really important whether you do it in this program or some way that whoever, you know, you do it with, that it, there has to be some connection um, with that person or it's meaningless. There's, there's nothing. Um, it says three hours remaining on my show. You're kidding. Um, three hours remaining. Nine, it says nine minutes for me. Does it really say that on my cover? I have nine minutes left to go. But um, so, uh, oh yeah, where were we? We were talking about um, we were talking about the sex, and we were talking about uh, here we are. I'm on page seventy-six. And we're on step six and seven, but what I was just talking about, and now I remember, was um, step five, that maybe it is better if somebody wants to do it, to do it with a, like a monk or a priest or a therapist, that uh, it just doing it with anyone is not really, really a good idea. And I, I'm saying that because that was my experience. I did too. My first one with the guru that everybody else was reading their fifth step to, and I, I, it was felt very flat. Like you know, um, it wasn't, it did not make me feel 
better. It didn't make me feel better. I want to talk about the AA culture and the mentality. Um, I really don't think that anybody under 21, never mind, for I mean, 18, absolutely not, should not be allowed to go to an AA meeting. But that you are so vulnerable and impressionable as I was. I, I was. I turned 18 at my first meeting. To listen to this kind of fear-based, uh, forgive the predators kind of mentality and um, this is the next part. This part, I, I really, uh, we have ceased fighting anything or anyone. Um, why is that taken out of context so much? On page 84, people go, well, we don't fight anything or anybody. It's like, well, we wouldn't have had the civil rights movement, you know, if people didn't fight. People fought for abortion. They fought for the right to vote for women. We fought for um, animal rights. We fought for children's rights. We're still fighting for children's rights. Uh, yeah, the whole fear thing that, that they say. Everything comes back to fear. It's all fear. It's all fear. It's not all fear. It's like so insane to say that everything. I have heard people with like long-term sobriety talk about how it's all fear. Now, there's a section in the book that I like, um, 84 and 85, um, that brings me to the sponsorship stuff, that it is so over, overly, uh, people go, hey, that's my sponsor, did you ask your sponsor? And, well, you know, um, there's nowhere in the book does it talk about sponsorship in the big book. There's no, in, only a few places in the 12 and 12. And the part that I like that it says, um, that talks about, let me see where it is, where it talks about it. We intuitively know. Um, let me see. We will find. Let's see. We're headed for trouble. Um, oh, no. It's 86 and 87. Sorry. Um, so it, the part here, it says, in thinking about our day, we may face indecision. We may not be able to determine which course to take. And here we ask God. And if you are not a believer, you can just sort of ask Sort of, you know, intuitively to be to know what to do, which is what in, in, you could do mindfulness meditation or whatever. An intuitive thought or decision, we relax and take it easy. We don't struggle. We are often surprised how the right answers come after we have tried this for a while. Um, what used to be the hunch or the occasional inspiration gradually becomes a working part of the mind. Wow, you have a mind here. Then why do we hear this stuff in the meeting about? You know, oh, your best thinking got you here. No, don't listen to your brain. You know, your brain. This is people with like a long term, 20 years over that, talking about their brains that they can't trust their minds. Who who told any? This is absurd. It's very, very, very bad. Very dangerous to tell people that you can't trust your own mind over and over again. It's just clearly in here. It gradually becomes a working part of the mind. Being still inexperienced and having just made a conscious contact, it's not probable that we're going to be inspired all the time. But nevertheless, we find that our thinking will, as time passes, be more and more on the plane of inspiration. We come to rely upon it. And, you know, when I was new, this is all highlighted and, you know, my uh, highlighter and, and underlined because that's what people did. They didn't, uh, you know, say, oh, call your sponsor, call your sponsor, do this, do that. It, it was about that inspiration. We have four minutes remaining. 
want to thank everybody who came and listened and was in the blog. I want to end with this. Do you know that there are judges in our courts saying, do you have a sponsor? There are judges. That's what they're asking the person who is standing before them with a DUI or maybe a criminal charge, that our federal and local state governments are talking to people and sending people to a religious movement or it's not a program. You know, um, everybody should know that the um, it's already been proven that it is too religious. I want to let you know what's going on in the news. There's three stories that in just this week. The first story was this. Attempted murder during an AA meeting. A 40-year-old Traverse City man is behind bars charged with trying to kill another man during an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. This happened on Friday in Garfield Township in Michigan. A man, officials say about 15 people were at a meeting when they noticed one member was acting erratically. The victim, who was the chair of the meeting, was trying to call law enforcement when the suspect grabbed the man in a chokehold and sliced his neck. And I heard he had over 200 stitches. So this is to the people who think that we don't need to make AA safer. So just a shout-out that I have a flyer, Make AA Safer. Make AA Safer for newcomers, all members, that we feel that nobody should be sexually or financially harassed in any way, that uh, we want to ward against violent behavior. We are not walking ATMs. Sponsors and old-timers should not abuse their position of power and authority. Uh, tell the secretary and friends if something has, if some of you have been harassed or feel uncomfortable, if a crime is committed, dear God, call the police. The next story up is, um, the next story up is a couple sentenced to probation in a criminal abuse case. That after spending more than 280 days in jail, uh, James Bittner, 35, Jennifer Colette, 29, both of Coombs, this is in Kentucky. Um, they were supposed to get a 15-year prison sentence, lowered to five. This is what they did. The following indictment in May 2010 had been facing 17 counts of first-degree rape, seven counts of first-degree sodomy, 22 counts of incest, three counts of first-degree sexual abuse, and three counts of first-degree criminal abuse. And they have were accused of sexually abusing and raping the children, all of whom were under the age of 12. Guess where they're sending them? They will be required to attend, attend two Narcotics Anonymous meetings a week. So, I want to thank you all for coming tonight. My name is Monica. This is my show, Blog Talk Radio, Safe Recovery. Uh, I'll see you next week. We're going to have Harriet on from Florida. We're going to have Stanton Peel on the following week. And remember, you have a brain. You have a mind. Here we go out with this. We feel that no one should be sexually or financially pressured, sexually harassed or financially pressured in any way. It's up to you. It's up to me. Take care and good night. We'll see you next week. Bye.